0: If the Bible is living, does it change? Well, that's the subject that we're going to be talking about in our Choose Your Own Topic series. We're going to be dealing with this issue of um, this question, does it change? Now, here's what we're going to do this morning. Uh, It's going to be very simple. Um, I could talk about this subject for hours. We don't have hours. We're just going to have about 30 minutes for us to talk about. I did not put anyone to sleep in the first service, okay? So there's no reason for you guys to go to sleep. Uh, There's going to be, yes, we're going to talk about scrolls and papery, but not too much, okay? So you don't need to worry too much about that. Uh, We're just going to look at some broad brush issues. I'm going to be speaking very broadly about this issue, but this is a good question, and I'm glad that Carol asked this. I'm glad that that we're talking about this, because this is a good question. If the Bible is living, does it change? I mean, you would think that something living would change, but does it change? All right, our eight-week series, Choose Your Own Topic. I think this is probably week six of the series. Um, I think we're on week six, Next week, well, we won't talk about next week. Let's talk about today. Today, how the unchanging Bible changes us—that's the subject of what we're going to talk about. How the unchanging Bible can change us. Why the Bible is really important. Why it's critical that we read the Bible. Why the Bible has the power that it does today. The short answer to Carol's question is if the Bible is living, does it change? The short answer to that question is no. It does not change. But there is more complexity to it than just saying no. Although no would be the short answer. Um, so let's talk about that complexity today. We're going to see what the Bible says. We're going to look at several different passages because we're dealing with a a topical subject of the Bible. The Bible doesn't talk about itself a whole lot um, because it sort of is what it is. But at the same time, there are some passages that we'll want to be familiar with. The other thing is we're just going to have two simple ideas dealing with the... The living issue of the Bible and the changing issue of the Bible. So here's what we'll do. Two ideas you can follow along in your handout. First of all is this one um, right here, which is the Bible does not change. The Bible does not change. And so as we talk about this, we want to bear in mind that the the fact that the Bible does not change, we want to remind ourselves and remember that this is a good thing. As a father um, who has younger children, consistency is really important for younger children, right? Because if your younger child who's three or four or five years old is not sure whether or not they're going to have one meal a day, three meals a day, or six meals a day, and those number of meals change all the time, that does not promote good behavior. It does not promote security that they need in growing up. At the same time, if you make them go to bed at 4 o'clock in the afternoon one day, and you let them stay up to 2 a.m. the next day, that lack of consistency also will pay huge dividends in the wrong way. If you don't believe me, try it and find out for a month. It will not be very successful. So consistency, unchangingness, is actually a good thing. It is important that when we approach a stoplight and we see that it is either green, this is not in order, uh, I'm not paying attention, right? Red, yellow, green. How about that? Is that in order? Okay. If we approach a stoplight and it's red, yellow, green, it is important that everyone knows that red means to stop. green, Yellow means slow down, not speed up and go through the intersection. And green means to go. Okay. If everybody had their own interpretation of red, yellow, green, we would not be able to function as a society. All right. And we also know people who just moved here two weeks ago from the U.S. because they struggle with this issue because it's not their culture, right? At least I notice that all the time. Okay. And so what happens is, is that the unchanging nature of the Bible is actually a good thing. It is good that some things don't change. So our culture gives you the impression that change is good and change can be good, but there's some things that you want to keep the same, some things you want to change. All right. Let's talk about that real quickly. Here's what the Bible says in 2 Timothy. Um, This is Paul talking to Timothy here. He says, but you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know They are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Now, let me just pause here for a second because Timothy. Um, We believe has sort of a unique situation because he was a child of the first generation of people who grew up after Christ was crucified and rose again on the third day. So he was the first generation of Christians who was born into the world and could choose to follow Jesus from a young age. Uh, Before that, people had to trust in what? They had to trust that God was going to send the Messiah. That's what they had to trust in. So Timothy was the first generation of people, uh, first generation of uh, yeah, of people who was able to actually put their faith in the Messiah from a young age. So Paul is writing him as a younger leader in the church and saying, "Listen." You can, you, can, you can be excited because you can trust the scriptures which have taught you the truth about Christ Jesus. And then he says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. We can tell, though, that the main thing is to get us going in the right way... Secondarily is the wrong stuff. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Talking about the Bible. So the Bible does not change. But let's talk about two issues here briefly this morning. When it comes to this issue of the changing or living aspect of the Bible. And how it affects us as believers. First of all, the Bible has historically remained the same, okay? So historically, the Bible is the same um, throughout its uh, existence. Now, let's talk specifics here. Okay, this is a Bible, right? It is. It's a Bible. It's not just a leather-bound book. This is a Bible. And the cool thing about the Bible has two covenants in it. Uh, two major covenants. I know this is testaments, but that's the, probably not the best word in English. So there's two covenants, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant is the covenant uh, primarily that God made with Moses, um, and the New Covenant is the covenant that we are the uh, that we have through Jesus Christ. Now here's the thing. This is the Bible in English. This is New Living Translation. Uh, some of you out there have other translations of English, and that's fine. It doesn't matter. Um, some of you out there have Tagalog versions. Some of you have Hindi version. Some of you have Spanish versions. Some of you have Mosquito versions. Some of you have, I don't know. I mean, there's Chinese uh, Mandarin, some of you have Cantonese version. Uh, sorry, I said Chinese. Uh, and there's probably like a million other versions just in BVC alone, OK? Here's the thing: your version of the Bible and my version of the Bible is exactly the same. All right? It's 100 percent the same. Now, when we talk about the the Bible itself, its accuracy, then I'm going to use the word 99.9%. And I'm going to explain that 0.1% in just a second, okay? But your Bible is the same as my Bible. Here's the reason why. This Bible right here is a translation into English from the original two languages that the Bible is written in. The Old Covenant was primarily written in Hebrew. The New Covenant was primarily written in Greek. Okay, you don't need to know that. But what you do need to know is that All the Bibles that you have are translations of those Bibles, okay? So your Bible is a translation, whatever language it's in, it's a translation of the Hebrew and the Greek, and same thing with mine. Now you may say, well, why does some of the English versions, do they disagree? I mean, why does one version have thou shalt not, and the other one says you will not? Uh, why does one have different words um, than other ones? Well, they don't have different words, but they do have synonyms, okay? For those of you that know two languages, this is an easy conversation. If you don't know two languages, you'll just have to take my word for it. When you try to translate something, a thought form from one language to another language, it raises a lot of difficulty, because you've got to figure out what color well, I'm going to use color as an example. You've got to figure out what word you want to use. Let me give you an example. Um, when we look at the color blue, there's lots of different shades of blue, right? In English, I mean, we can talk about blue. We could talk about aquamarine. We could talk about uh, Asia. We could talk about indigo. We could talk about periwinkle. We could talk about somebody help me out here. What are some other shades of blue? Baby, blue? Baby blue. Okay, what? Sky blue? Is that what you're saying? What else? Navy blue, let's oh, go. I didn't think about navy blue, right? Navy, okay. It's a good color, navy, right? Okay. And and so the thing, I'm partially colorblind, so just be happy I made that many. Uh, and and so the thing is, when we think about this, there's lots of different words I And mean, We've talked about last couple weeks that there's what? Oh, in English, there's two hundred words for poop. I mean, there's just a million different words that we can use when we try to translate things. And so what happens is, is that your translations are based upon trying to articulate it in your language, and they use different synonyms. By the way, um, there 's lots of publishers out there, and publishers make money on bibles and so that 's why every publisher has a translation um, and so they have to translate differently it 's funny because as it 's a bonus for second service, as a Greek scholar myself, um, some of the translations try really hard to just change a word to try to make it fit, but they don 't want to look like the other translation, and so they try really hard to just they move a word around just to make sure it doesn 't so there 's no copyright issue but it 's the same thing okay? so reading it is the same thing now. The Bible has also historically changed the same as well. Let, let, me, let me dig a little deeper into this, okay? So all of the Bibles that you have are translated from the Greek and the Hebrew. And they're translated accurately, and you can know that it's true. I'll tell you why you can know it's true. That is a scroll of Isaiah, if the website that I got it from was accurate. Scroll, scroll of Isaiah that dates to about 2,400 years ago. Okay, now, the Bible is 3,500 years old. Okay, from its very beginning, 3,500 years. There is nothing in our world that's 3,500 years old that is still accurate or even reliable or anything. I mean, 3,500 years is a long time ago. Does anybody know anything that's, does anybody have anything in their possession that's 3,500 years? No. This is the only thing in your possession that's 3,500 years old or older, I can guarantee you. Um, So when we talk about the Bible, here's the really cool thing about the Bible. That's a scroll of Isaiah. Isaiah has prophecies in it about Jesus Christ. You know, it's the one who says, born in a manger, all that kind of stuff, right? And so that scroll is uh, datable archaeologically to 400 years before Jesus um, ever was... You know, came into our world at all. Now, Isaiah wrote it before 400 years before the birth of Christ. But that one's datable. That was copied 400 years before Christ. Um, And so the thing is, is that there are lots and lots of people in our world, even though Hebrew, ancient Hebrew is a dead language, quote unquote, so is ancient Greek. uh, There's lots and lots of people in our world who can read Hebrew and Greek. And so there are plenty of people who can read that. Uh, fluently, and then just say, hey, same thing in the Bible. In fact, that's in a museum somewhere, okay? So you could actually do this. You could actually go to the museum. They're probably not going to let you touch it. But you could go to the museum. You could see the scroll laid out in the glass, right? A British Museum, if you're ever in London, highly recommend it. They have some, they have some opportunities to do this. You could actually take it. You have to, you'll need two things. Bring your Bible you have now. Take your Bible right now. Take a modern critical edition of the Hebrew or Greek, whichever one you prefer. Um, and then that Bible that's in the glass case. And you can look and you can see that the Bibles are all the same. In fact, this Bible right here, the Old Covenant half of it, because the New Covenant, of course, was written after Jesus Christ came into the world, right? Because it's the covenant that he established. But of the Old Covenant, you know, the Old Covenant is the Bible that who read? Who read this part of the Bible? When they were growing up every day. Jews. Jesus. Okay, well Jews, yes. Okay, yes. And so did Gentiles, by the way, too. It wasn't just Jews. But, but, but you're right. I mean, obviously they are primary readers of it. But Jesus read this, right? This was the Bible that Jesus read. And we know that because you can go and look in the British Museum. or That's actually in a museum in, in, uh, in uh, the Holy Land. But you can go in a museum and you can look and see the Bibles that they read. And that they match with our Bibles. That's amazing. So there are no consistency issues. This is 100% the Bible, 100 and 100%. We're going to talk about, though, the fact that the Bible, as we've received it, is 99.9% accurate. And we're going to talk about where that .1 comes in so that you're not confused with other people when other people speak to you. Okay, so here's the question. What about the errors in the Bible? The second service tends to be a little younger, so I assume that you will, in age, I assume that this will be more prevalent for you. If you go on the internet and you search for Bible errors, you're going to come up with thousands of websites devoted to errors in the Bible. Right? Um, there are tons of people who, have, who you know, find, quote-unquote, in their mind, errors in the Bible. Let's talk about that for a minute. First of all, there are thousands of websites. By the way, for thousands of years, people have tried to find errors in the Bible. It's, a, it's, a, it's like find aliens... You know, find who really blew up the the nine eleven towers, or find errors in the Bible. It's all in that conspiracy genre, you know, that exists in our world. If you ever read those websites, you'll find out that a lot of those people who write those websites are very, very hateful people, um, and they're mad. Um, and I will describe them as hateful because they hate something about the Christian faith or the church. They're mad at some priest, some church, something, something God didn't do in their life, something they thought God should do in their life. They're really mad, and so the Bible becomes a very good target. So let's talk about the errors in in the Bible. Because here's what's going to happen. When you interact with people in our world, the default position today is that there are errors in the Bible. That's true, okay? When you talk to most people today, especially in in California, the majority of people will assume incorrectly that there are errors in the Bible. Now, we're going to talk about what that means and what it doesn't mean so that you can be well-informed, so that you can talk to your friends and get them to read the Bible for themselves. Okay, two things. First of all, there's two two kinds of errors that people talk about most of which is the first part the first app which is this there are issues of consistency or at least that's what people would like you to believe the bible was written started being written 3500 years ago okay and yet it was written over a span of about 1500 years total and yet it agrees 100% of the time that's crazy because agreeing 100% of the time for a bunch of different people writing a bunch of different time periods a bunch of, over a different span of time, different social classes seems almost impossible. We're going to talk about why it's not impossible in just a minute. But when we deal with the Bible, um, we have to understand two things. First of all is this issue of consistency. A lot of times people will, uh, they'll sort of be nitpickers, you know. And they'll come and they'll find some word that they think somehow doesn't agree with the word later on in the Bible. Anytime you have a document that this size There are going to be some issues that you're going to have to look at twice. But more specifically, there's something that most people who are not Christians miss about the Bible. The Bible, because it's the word of God, is not a straightforward book in all occasions. Sometimes it is. But a lot of times it is extremely, (sighs) creates tension. You know why it creates tension? Because it creates a crisis of faith in our lives. So when we talk about the Bible being the word of God, it creates a tension in our lives. What are some tensions that are in the Bible? There are a lot of tensions in the Bible. What are some tensions that are in the Bible? Anybody throw out a tension that's in the Bible? Okay. All right. Just the whole reason of Jesus coming, right? I mean, that's a huge tension. On one hand, because... And I'll just use Roland's as a great example. I mean, on one hand... What we because of what we do in life, because we're broken and we hurt other people, we deserve to pay for the penalty of our mistakes. So if you just read that part of the verse and just rip that out of the Bible for the wages of sin is death. Oh, God hates everybody. See, I know. I knew God hated everybody. So when we read it and just out of context. But the tension there is, even though that we deserve death because of the mistakes that we made even though we deserved the penalty the tension though is that god loves us so much that he sent christ to redeem us that's a great example of attention right if you only read one small part of the bible you're going to miss the whole point of the tension in fact if you've never read the whole bible as a whole you're going to miss a lot of the tension as well so the bible is designed to to bring tension into our lives why because it wants to challenge us And it wants us to have a crisis of faith so that we will believe and trust in God and put our faith in Him. So there's lots of tension throughout the Bible. So if you've ever read, you know, the top 100 errors... uh, By the way, I've got a book in my office. It's called Bible Errors. uh, It's like 400 pages. And you know what? It's 400 pages of really just things that the author thinks is an error. Like that one that that Roland mentioned. See, the Bible says that you're supposed to die. That's the wage of sin. Aha, that's a contradiction. That's an error in the Bible. The truth is, is that there's a whole cottage industry... And there has been for a thousand years trying to disprove the Bible or argue that there's lots of errors and inconsistency in the Bible. There really isn't. Um, Everything that's in the Bible, some things are not the easiest to explain, but everything in the Bible is explainable. Let me give you an example. Some people just don't like the Bible. And so they'll say, well, what about this issue in the Bible? What about that issue in the Bible? Let me give you a good example. Um, A lot of times people will, they don't really read the Bible, but they'll flip through the Bible. And they'll say, well, what about that passage in Leviticus where it says that if a child is rebellious, that we should stone them? right? That's horrible. That's totally barbaric. That, that proves that God is not from God. It's just something else. Well, let's look at that passage in context just for a second. First of all, um, we need to understand that that's coming from a civil legal code. If you understand ancient Hebrew, then you'll know that that's a civil legal code and that it's not talking about small children primarily. It's really talking about adult children. See, what would happen in the ancient world is that when you grew up, um, you, you became a man. You got your, especially in the context that we're talking about here, you got, your servants. You got your, 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 your uh, what do you call them? Like a retinue, your household. You actually had a household around you, men, men and women who would support you and they would work for you, but they would fight for you too. That was very common. And a lot of times the, the kids would be like, yeah, you know, my dad's got a much bigger and nicer property over there and he's only got eight and I've got 10 servants. So hmm, who would win? I'll win. Okay. So I'm going to go attack my dad. Um, it would be like this. It would be like if we decided today that we wanted to steal a house from someone else or steal a car from someone else. Do people steal from each other? Yes, they do. Um, By the way, the idea in that situation, if you look at it again in the ancient Hebrew, is that the maximum penalty um, for an aggression, specifically a murder, against your own... Uh, father or mother would be, in that situation, capital punishment. Okay? By the way, do we have a similar law? Yes. If I go and kill my father to take his house, then, at least in the state of Virginia, because that's where my dad lives, uh, they will put me to death for that, okay? if I do that. That's what will happen. So they didn't have a lecture chair back then. Um, that was the best form of capital punishment that existed at the time. Um, if God wrote the Bible today, maybe it would be a uh, lecture chair. I don't know. But the point is, is that the Bible is not inconsistent. The Bible is accurate for what it is. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But what about other errors? Okay. What about other errors? Are there other errors? You said earlier, Pastor, that the Bible, um, that the Greek and Hebrew is 99.9% accurate. Well, what does that mean? Okay, good. I'm glad you asked. See, let me do this by contrast for a second. Um, Because Christianity... Not only is it the real faith, but being a follower of Jesus. And I don't even like the word Christianity sometimes because it sort of means a religion rather than just the practice of following Jesus as the Messiah. But those who follow Jesus the Messiah, um, those who call themselves Christians, we are a very open, loving, and tolerant religion if there ever was one. Now, I know the media and the secular uh, folks would, uh, you know, they freak out and say, oh, no, it's not true. But let me give you an example of that. See, in Islam, as an example... Um, let me explain the way Islam treats its scripture. Um, the Quran was written by one person. The Bible was written by 39 different people. Okay? So if Muhammad's wrong, all of Islam is wrong. Okay? But the Quran was written, and about, I don't know, 60, 80, 100 years after his death, they were worried because they started having different versions of the Quran. They started having lots of you know, spelling errors and other issues come into the Quran. And so what they did was they had a big, massive... Uh, Quran burning, where everyone under penalty of death had to bring every copy of the Quran that they had, and they from that, they burned all of them, and they made one master copy that they tried to print from, Is was about 100 years after Muhammad died, uh, that they would print from. And any type of deviation from that one master Quran is punishable, uh, even today, probably with a very serious, if not death, as a, uh, as a penalty. Uh, most Muslims I meet deny that there's even any such thing as that. They deny it exists, but if you go to a museum, you'll find that actually they do exist. Okay, now let's contrast that with Christianity, okay? Um, in the ancient world, when somebody, like let's think 3,500 years ago when, when Moses sat down and wrote the first five books of the Bible. He wrote them out, typed them out on the computer, it was on the screen, and then he hit print and printed a couple copies and disseminated to the people, right? Is that what Moses did? Exactly, that's right! Wow, you were there and you know it. That's right, okay, now. Um, and so the thing is, is that the Bible, as with any other ancient document... Was done was what? It was hand copied, right? And so the Bible, as it's hand copied over the years, they they would try very hard to be accurate. But occasionally, somebody would spell things wrong. I mean, there's a lot of spelling errors we're going to talk about in just a second. They would spell things wrong. Now, this is what makes Christianity different than every other religion in the world. Guess what Christians did with every... Let's say Gary from Athens. I just picked some there's no Gary in Athens but say Gary in Athens uh, tried to translate the Bible uh, not translate he's trying to copy the Bible and he spelled temple T-E-M-P-E-L instead of T-E-M-P-L-E guess what Christians do with that spelling error because it's the word of God they keep it publish it make lots and lots of copies of that copy to let everybody know that Gary from Athens spelled it wrong and it's in museums all over the world There are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of scraps of paper all over the world with spelling errors on them. Now, why is that important? Well... I I didn't bring it this morning. I can't believe I didn't bring it this morning. But remember I said earlier that if you take the the Hebrew scroll, right, of Isaiah, I said, then you take your English Bible, but you have a critical edition of the Bible. What did I mean by a critical edition of the Bible? Critical doesn't mean negative. Critical edition of the Bible highlights at the bottom every single spelling error that every scribe ever made in the history of the world that we know about. I'm not kidding you. Okay? So Gary for Athens is forever remembered... He has a number. I didn't say Gary, but he's like, you know, whatever number and letter he is, and whatever scroll it is. But he's forever remembered because he fell asleep at his desk and spelled something wrong. And we know about thousands of years. And his work is in the British Museum or the Museum of the Holy Land. Okay? So the thing is, is that scholars, Christian scholars, write papers and books by the millions every year. Well, maybe not millions, but thousands every year on all these different spelling errors ...to understand more better why he would have spelled it wrong to begin with. Why? Because we care about the Word of God. And if Gary made one little mistake, we want to know why Gary did. And we want to try to understand exactly what the Word of God has to say. So here's the thing. The cool thing about what Gary did is this, though. This is why we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that's accurate. Because when we go and look at that scroll... And we compare it and we compare it and we compare it. We know that there's 100 people and 100 scrolls in that museum that spelled temple in that verse T-E-M-P-L-E. And Gary spelled it T-E-M-P-E-L. And so we can have confidence knowing that the word of God has faithfully been passed down because we have not only the correct version, but we also have the erroneous versions as well. And it is the erroneous versions that give us confidence that this right here is 100% accurate and 100% the same Bible that Jesus himself read as well. And so that, my friends, is something that we can be excited about. What about errors in the Bible? So when people tell you that there are errors in the Bible, 99% of them don't know what they're talking about. They're just parroting something they've heard on the Internet because they don't understand what it means to be an error. An error in the Word of God doesn't exist. There are typos in certain, in certain uh Manuscripts, But those typos are easily corrected and understood. We study them. We understand why they did. By the way, the most common typo is what's... We don't need to get technical here this morning. But literally was the the mis- moving of one letter for another letter. That's the most common typo that, that exists. Occasionally, someone would, instead of writing blue, would write Asia. But those are very, very rare. So what about errors in the Bible? Well, as far as, it's, as far as its faithfulness, there are none. There are nothing to be worried about. You know, here's the thing. The Bible... By the way, it's not just a book, right? Everyone knows that. I mean, there's 66 different books in here. The Bible just means really collection of books, and there's tons of different books in here. But it's 66 different books written over 39 different years, right? I mean, 39 writers over 1,500 years. Now, if all of us got together and decided that we were going to put together a manual for life now, um, all of us in a room, we were going to have a big writing session, would we agree with the same consistency or even close to consistency of the Bible? No, no, because some of you have favorite colors that are like red and puce and orange and my favorite color is blue. So we would not agree on anything, okay? And so the thing is, is that, you know, we wouldn't agree. But the Bible is in full agreement, even though it was written over such a huge time frame. I mean, can you think about 1,500 years? What other document in the world is composed over a period of 1,500 years and even partially agrees with itself? There is none. There is nothing like the Bible. By the way, the other thing that's cool about the Bible is because of the way that God inspired the Bible, it's not just one person who wrote it. With one exception, every other major religion in the world bases its Doctrine and beliefs on the writings of one person, right? Islam. If Muhammad's wrong, Islam is wrong. Uh, Joseph Smith wrote, write, wrote uh, the books for the Mormons, right? If he's wrong, Mormonism is wrong. Tom Cruise. No, he didn't write the books. Just kidding. Uh, L. Ron Hubbard. He wrote the book. If he's wrong, Scientology is wrong, right? I don't care what Tom Cruise says. And so the thing is is that it comes down to one person. But the cool thing is the Bible is not just one person's opinion, in fact, it is God inspiring 39 different people or so over the course of history to write these books that, that are fully compatible and fully accurate with each other no matter what Gary from Athens may have done when he fell asleep at his desk 2,000 years ago, that we enshrine today in our museums because it's that important to us to really understand the Word of God. The Bible says this. Jesus says this. Actually, Jesus says, John 10:35. the Scriptures cannot be altered. Why? Because they, are, they have as their source God. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But they are not able to be altered because God will not allow it. The Word of God will remain and it will be active in our world to lead people to be able to do what is right, and to stay away from what is wrong. The Bible has also remained consistent in its truth. Now, this is one of the things that, that comes up, because a lot of people say things, well, the Bible's not very consistent, you know? I mean, the Bible changes a lot because, you know, um, well, they don't really know why it changes. But they think it changes because they say things like, well, what about that example of the stoning, you know, children? I mean, that seems so barbaric today. I mean, that seems so, you know, unfair today. Well, um... <laughs> The funny thing is, is that you have a contrast here. Because you have the Bible on one side and you have society on the other. You have morality on the other. And this is the eternal contrast that has gone on in our world for thousands of years. Society and the Bible always conflict with each other. They're never going to be completely simpatico. They're never going to completely agree. Let me give you an example. Today, uh, our society, Western society, is very strongly, um, very strongly tries to protect children. Okay? Now, I know it's not perfect, and I know we've got lots of examples where it could be better. Okay, but historically, Western societies work very hard to protect children. Do you, do you know why Western society works very hard to protect children? Anybody have any idea? No, well, it's, they are the future, but that's not why. Isn't that a song? I think so. Does anybody know? Did you know that at the time when the Bible was written, um, that in Greek society it was accepted? for adult men to get, adult, uh, to get boys and have sex with them and make them their personal servant and slave. That's true. We would consider that to be totally abhorrent today, I would hope. Um, and you know why it doesn't exist today? Because people started reading their Bible and they got really mad about that practice. And they said this can't go on anymore because it goes against the Word of God, right? Right? And so, fortunately in the West, that law is still held and those values still hold. But it's not always the case because there was a time several thousand years ago where that was considered to be normal and okay. And yet today it's considered to be bad. You'll have friends of yours who say, well, there's nothing wrong with me having, you know, with me me as a guy being married to another guy or me as a woman being married to another woman. It doesn't hurt anybody. It's my decision, right? Okay or you know if you sleep with a bunch of people it doesn't matter. I mean sex is easy. That's why I pick sex. But the Bible's outdated. It's inconsistent. It doesn't matter anymore. No, society is what's changed, not the Bible. Remember when I said consistency was good? If we consider the Bible to be the word of God, then it's very good. It's very good, very useful because it's consistent throughout the ages. It is always said, by the way, um, that uh, pedophilia is wrong. It's always said, by the way, that sex outside of marriage in any context is wrong right? The Bible has remained consistent. Why? Because it's the word of God. Society will always change. You know, there's a great example. I, ha- I, ha- I keep it on my computer. In the 1950s, there was an article in Good Housekeeping that said, wives, if you want to be a good wife, when your husband comes home from work, you will wait on him hand and foot. You will not talk about yourself at all. You will have a, a, a stiff drink, cold drink, and a hot meal ready for him. And you'll just ask him all about himself in his day, and you'll do whatever he wants, right? And nods and waving his head, but uh, Liz is going to slap him in. Just a minute, you know, uh, because societies change, right? I mean, women in the 50s read that and they thought, yeah, that's what I need to do. I need to be completely a doormat for my husband, right? But now women don't even need men, right? Because you can impregnate yourself, you can clone yourself, you can infertilize yourself. That's all you need. You don't need a guy anymore, right? Men are obsolete. That's true. <laughs> Society will change, but the Bible will remain the same. And that's what's really cool, because as people, we need that consistency. Just because we're 20, 40, 60, or 80, we're basically still like four-year-olds. We still need some consistency in our lives, right? Listen. You cannot take the Bible halfway, because the Bible is fully the Word of God. You cannot pick and choose what part of C you like and don't, because you'll meet people who will say that. That's like the guy who says, you know what, I'm going to pick and choose the parts of the California code for driving that I like and not. So I will stop at stop lights, I will not stop at stop signs. I will obey this traffic laws when it's a 35 type zone, but I'm not going to obey the traffic laws on 55 zone. Because 55, when it's the speed limit, 55, that's optional anyway, right? Absolutely, that's right. It's optional anyway, right? And the problem is we treat God's word that way. We sort of pick and choose the part that we want, the part that we don't want. But it doesn't work very well because some guys going along, you're going along 55, and some guys going along 95, and it causes what accidents. And it would be better if we could all consistently, consistently live by the word of God, which is consistent and has been consistent for thousands of years. The, the word of God is not. Um, the Word of God is, is uh, not only is it accurate, but fully accurate, but it's also fully useful for us to be able to be completely good in what we do, for us to be able to follow God's plan for our lives and to be the person that God has created us to be. So the Bible has remained fully consistent in all that it does. Listen, here's the thing. The, the, we talk about the Bible. We talk about the fact that it's divinely inspired. It's completely trustworthy and has the full authority of God. That's what it is. And so when we read the Bible, we have a hundred percent confidence hundred percent confidence that god speaks through the word of god that it is the 100 percent the word of god that speaks through us you know as a bonus for second service let me mention this because i forgot in first service let me explain the way the bible is inspired i'm going to deal with it more in just a second but if somebody rips a page out of the bible is that the bible is that if i rip he right here if i rip he out of daniel 2 is that the bible no, that's just a piece of paper with the word he on it. The, 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 the way um, Christians have understood the inspiration of the Bible for thousands of years, that it is the text with the message in it that is the word of God. So you cannot just read one half of a verse like the wages of sin is death, right? That'd be half a verse, right? And so you can't just read that half and be like, oh, I read my Bible for a day. Uh, I, I understand the word of God. No, you don't. Because you're only simply getting a few words there. You have to read the Bible in its entirety. You have to read it fully to understand it. Now, some of you may say, well, Pastor, I've read a little bit of the Gospels. I've never read Ezekiel. Does that mean I've got to start on Ezekiel today? No, but it does mean that the more you read the Bible, the more you're going to understand God's will. And the more you're going to be able to understand what he wants to do in your life. And the more you understand him. If you can't read it, if you don't read it. Um, then you'll never really be able to get to the truth of what God wants for you to know. So we understand that the Bible is completely trustworthy, has full authority in our lives. Shifting interpretations over the years, almost always bad, don't mean that the Bible changes. Okay, so this is one of the things that come into play because sometimes you'll meet people who are from a scientific background and they'll be like, "Well, I don't believe the Bible because you know the Bible teaches that the world is flat and you know that the Earth revolves around. No, the Sun revolves around the Earth, right? But the Bible doesn't say that." Um, That was the Roman Catholic Church for a couple hundred years um, that argued that. And that was just their interpretation, wrong interpretation. Let me give you another wrong interpretation. Some of your friends, we talked about this two weeks ago, believe in purgatory, right? But purgatory is not in the Bible at all. Some guy made up purgatory to raise money. That's what they did. That's, that's the shortened end of it, right? Purgatory is not in the Bible. But most people don't know that because they've never actually read the Bible for themselves. They've just heard someone tell them that purgatory is in the Bible. There's lots of things that Americans believe are in the Bible that are not in the Bible. Because most people have never read it. Reading the Bible is like praying. Which means it's a lie. You know why it's a lie? Because if you ask people, do they pray? Everyone's going to say, yeah, I pray. Unless they're like a really hardcore atheist. But everyone's going to say they do. Everybody prays because it's a good value. It's like if you ask people, if you ask every person, do you wash your hands when you go to the bathroom? Every person's going to say what? Yes. Yes. Because they know socially they're supposed to, right? But if we had a camera in there, you know, it wouldn't look so good sometimes, you know? And so if we had a camera in everybody's bedroom to monitor praying, we would find out that lots of people really don't pray. And lots of people you're going to meet, they say, oh, I've read the Bible, which means that they flip to some passage like Ezekiel that they knew there was going to be some confusing stuff in there. They read some verse or they read some verse online that's totally out of context, and they've, they've read the Bible. They know it. They've read the Bible, and you can't talk to them now because they know it, but they haven't. When people tell you, oh, I've never read the Bible, and I know what you're, you know. Don't tell me because I've already read it. 99% of the time they're just it's like saying I washed my hands for uh, after I left the bathroom but they really didn't okay they just don't want to challenge you you know i mean they don't want you to challenge them it's just like you know the whole issue of going to church i mean <clears throat> Surveys show over and over again that most Americans say that they go to church. But if you take the number of people who are actually in church on a Sunday morning, that number is radically different than the number of people who say they go to church. Why? Because they have best intentions. You know what? But intentions don't usually work out. You know the old church trick? Let me teach you a church trick. If somebody says, if you're sharing your faith with them, and they say, well, I'm already involved in our church, thanks for inviting me to BBC. Say, uh, well, what church are you involved in? And they say, oh, I, uh, it's um, St. Peter's. And they say, oh, cool. Well, who's the pastor now at St. Peter's or who's the priest at St. Peter's? And they'll say, oh, it's, uh, uh, I think it has been there a couple years, right? That's what they'll say because they don't know they don't know because they don't go. Uh, Again, some people will know, but, but most won't. That's my experience. And and so when you ask them about reading the Bible, you know, and they say, oh, I've read the Bible. I say, oh, good. Well, what parts? I mean, what, what book was the one that you disagreed with the most? What sections were the ones that you, that you, that you agreed with the, the least, and see what they say. Oh, I, you know, it was a long time ago, and so uh, it was. Um, um, Gary from Athens. Yeah, Gary. Gary won. Gary won. That was a good book. That was a real. Yeah, I, I liked that one, but I didn't like um, Beelzebub three. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So the problem is, is that people will have lots and lots of reasons for not reading the Bible, but it's absolutely critical that we do, especially as the people of God. Now, let's talk about this real quickly. The Bible can change us. We're almost done. The Bible can change us because it is the Word of God, and it is very much what God wants to do in our lives that the Bible can change us. Let's talk about this real quickly here this morning. Here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 4. For the Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And so, when we talk about the Bible, that the Bible is the Word of God and it has that power to really create tension and a crisis of faith in our lives, it wants to cut through all the baloney that we have so that it can get to the heart of the matter and really be able to teach us about who God is. As people, we're really good at manufacturing baloney, right? Like our church face. We come in and I ask, I say everyone, you know, every Sunday morning, how are you? Fine, 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 fine. We're all fine, right? Um, and the thing is, is that we're all not fine, you know, but uh, society says you can't say, oh, I'm having a terrible day because my spouse is being a jerk and my kids are not obeying me and you just don't say that on Sunday morning, right? Or whatever, whatever the case may be. And, and, and so the, the problem is, is that the Bible is really good at getting past that. It's really good that the more we read it and the more we try. try to understand it, the more we see what we need to do in our lives. Again, most people are like, I want to be a Christian. I want to follow Jesus, but they've never read the Bible. It would be like trying to build a building without ever reading a book on construction. It cannot be done. You cannot do it. You will not be successful. Let me say something else about the Word of God, too. The Word of God, the Bible... Oh, let me say this first. I'm gonna come back to that. The Bible is not just a book written by a person. Okay, so unlike other books, as I mentioned, that was written by one person, the Bible is written by a bunch of different people. But let's talk about the Bible here for a second. Talk about its inspiration. Okay, what happens is is that the Bible has as its author God. Okay, not people, but people are the one who actually wrote it. So what does that mean? Well, on the one hand, you could say that the Bible is men writing men's thoughts about God. That would be the secularist or atheist perspective. The other perspective, which is the sort of the crazy Christian perspective, which we won't get into right now, is that God basically uh, typed the words of the Bible into people's minds. So, like when Paul sat down to write his books, that it was like a marionette. You know, God had the the, the things, and his hands were doing this, you know what I mean, just like the way God wanted his hands to do, okay? That's not, that's not what Christians mean when they say the Bible is the word of God. The Bible says that God is the author because God inspired the Bible, but let's talk about what we mean when we say the Bible's inspired word of God. The, the, God, the Bible actually says specifically, instead of inspiration, more specifically, it says it is God breathed. How many of you have ever heard that? God breathed, uh, okay? Now, here's the funny thing. In English, that sounds like, okay, maybe God, you know know. know puffed and something i don't know but here's the funny thing in greek the word breathe is the same word as what spirit basically so when it says that god breathed on it it's saying that god's spirit is in the bible that it is god's spirited bible it's his spirited book. So what that means is, is that the Spirit of God is on this book. It was inspired because the Spirit of God is the one that orchestrated and created this book. Now, let's talk a little bit about what that means. Um, first of all, let's talk about why this is. Because let's look at Paul for a second. Paul wrote in the New Covenant, what we call in English, unfortunately, the New Testament, um, the New Covenant. And he wrote, for example, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, right? Okay. Do you think that Paul wrote only two letters in his whole life to the church in Corinth? No. You know how I know he wrote more than two letters to the church in Corinth? The Bible says so. It says so in there. He wrote lots of letters to Corinth. But why were these two selected to be the word of God? Well, it's because these were the ones that God's spirit indwelt. God is the one who spoke those words into Corinth. Um, Paul's life. Now, how do people know which bo- parts of the Bible are inspired and which not? I mean, more specifically, when people are putting together the Bible, how do they know which books went in and which books went out? Well, I don't have time to cover that one because that's a whole other message. But there is a litmus test to know which ones w- went in and which, which ones didn't. So the Book of Mormon, does it belong in there? No, it fails, every, it fails all three of the litmus tests that every single book in the Bible passed to be able to be in the Bible. By the way, the church has never disputed 99% percent here has never disputed any of the books in the Bible. Okay? Nobody ever disputed whether Matthew should be in, and for example, if you go to the Barnes and Noble, the Gospel of Peter should not be in. There was never really any dispute about that. Everyone knew that Gospel of Matthew was inspired and Gospel of Peter wasn't. Why? Because you can tell. When you read the Bible and you read Tom Clancy, there's a difference, right? Everyone know? Everyone know? Right, there's a difference. Okay? If you read the Bible, something I wrote, something you wrote, there's a big difference, okay? So it's obvious, as a no, as, a no, as plain as the nose on someone's face, which is inspired word of God and which isn't. So the, the books that made it in here are the ones that God breathed into. But more specifically, breathe is the kind of the wrong idea. It's the wind of his spirit that blew over, if you want to be really precise. That his, his inspiredness, his spirit, is what wrote the words of Scripture for us. The Bible is not just a book written by a person. Um, the Bible is living and active and able to make an incredible... Incredible difference in our lives when we read it and when we understand it and when we allow the tension in our lives to, to dwell listen the bible is perfect okay the bible is perfect oh, i not dropped the bible is perfect and i am imperfect okay don't tell my wife all right perfect oh i just she knows come on <laughs> the bible is perfect i'm imperfect when i speak to you from the bible guess what you're hearing imperfection you're hearing imperfection you are hearing the bible imperfectly told to you okay now if tomorrow you go to work and you're taking your break at 11am and the building catches fire and burns down to the ground over the course of the next hour and you want to find out what happened with the bu- building the burning building are you going to a call your friend jane who doesn't work there and ask her what happened or B, are you going to ask the person who set the fire themselves, if you want the honest truth about what happened? A lot of now you'd be surprised because a lot of people ask Jane. Jane, do you know what happened? The building just burned down. Yeah, I couldn't believe it either. Yeah, okay. Well, what? Oh, aliens? Okay, Tom Cruise. Oh yeah, right. Okay, yeah, that's what happened. Right, I agree. That's right. And people get it second-hand. Listen, I say it all, say it all the time. It's true. Don't take my word for it. Next Sunday, I'll probably do a message on community. Um, thanks to Kirk for putting that one in, Christina. And uh, I'll probably do community. And you know what? The thing is, is that I want you not to believe a word I say and go home and read it for yourself in the Word of God. Because if what I don't say line up with this, then it doesn't do any good. You've got to know for certain. Listen, this is why people s- spent tons of money for a thousand years, paying for their families to get out of purgatory, as we talked about two weeks ago. Purgatory doesn't exist, but they were still willing to pay thousands of dollars for it because they weren't able to actually ever read the Bible for themselves. And I meet people over and 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 over again who never have read this. They haven't cracked it, and they're at the mercy of people. There are abusive churches out there. I mean, a lot of churches are good, but there are some abusive churches. And, um, you know, I hear stories all the time, and if people had just read their Bible to begin with, it would have saved them the $1,000 fine that they had to pay for whatever it happened to be because they didn't do the right thing at the right time or whatever. Which, by the way, also is not in the Bible whatsoever. So we should never have to pay for our faith. And, in fact, the Bible says that. We give generously to the Lord, but we don't pay for our faith. The Bible is not just a book written by a person. Second thing. As we finish here, the Bible is infused with the very Spirit of God. It is the very Spirit of God in it. When we open ourselves up to the Word of God, it is the Holy Spirit. Listen, sometimes people will be like, oh, I don't need the Bible because I got the Holy Spirit. No, you don't understand what the Spirit of God is. The Spirit of God is most accurately and most clearly rendered in our world in only one place. Not in your heart, here. This is where it is. You are filled with the Holy Spirit, but you are not infused with the Holy Spirit the way the Bible is. Okay, And so because the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you're still a broken, imperfect person yourselves. And no offense, and so am I. And so you have to read the Word of God to be able to understand it for your lives. I know there's parts that's easy. I know there's parts that's hard. It doesn't matter. You've got to dig in. You've got to make it a reality in your life. It's not going to be easy sometimes, but God made it that way. I was thinking about it this morning. I know yesterday morning while I was driving around. There's some parts of the Bible that's really simple. And it's great because you can just, you know, baby believer, just get right in, understand it. But it's praise the Lord that there's parts of the Bible that's really deep because it still keeps us who have been a Christian for a long time interested, you know. It's good because it's, it's, it has both. And so no matter where you are in your spiritual life, this is what you need to listen to, not me. Me secondarily, okay, uh, the church secondarily, but the Bible first. This is the most important thing. So the question then comes is, are you going to try to live your life without ever reading the handbook of life? Because that would be really dumb. It would be really dumb for you to build a building without ever reading a book on how to build a building if you never built a building before. Um, It would be really unwise for you to live your life without reading the handbook of life. Okay? Let's pray, Father. We just come before you this morning, Lord, and we thank you that you have given us a completely accurate and fully inspired Word, Lord. That there's nothing in it that's inconsistent or inaccurate, Father. Lord, we thank you for all the Christians and followers of you who have gone on for thousands of years who have believed the Bible, Lord, who have copied the Bible, and even those who made it, made mistakes when they were copying it. But that their their friends and people gathered up those mistakes so that we could learn, you know, how to make copy it better and how to promote it and how to challenge other people with your word even better. Father, I pray this morning for us that we would read your word and that we would understand it, that just like the Bible says, that it's living and active and it challenges us on the very basic level of who we are to be a follower of you. Father, I pray that people would not believe the church or believe any one person, um, but they would go to your word and they would learn from your word. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, um, today, our hope today is uh, that we, the Bible can help us grow in faith, and it can more than anything else. The Bible is the number one thing that will help us grow in our relationship with God. Life group moment um, is this. How do we get the Bible's life change in our lives? We're going to talk about that issue in our life groups. If you haven't got involved in the life group, you need to do that. Uh, and if you want to check some out on the... Uh, Foyer. Um, we also try to start one, two as well, so please see me if you're interested in being a host. Uh, gifts and offerings, we don't take that up in the morning service, um, but... Um We are going to – oh, yeah, you can – sorry, my mind's – this morning my mind's been all over the place. Uh, You can make your tithes, gifts, offerings um, in the basket on either side of the door on your way out. White welcome cards can go in there as well. Um, You can also give online if you're interested in doing that. Uh, Let me just make a couple quick announcements here this morning uh, as we finish up. Um, Let me ask a question. Let us take a survey real quick. Try to be honest with me. Um, How many of you are on Facebook? Just out of curiosity. How many are on Facebook? So most of you, all of you, like, yeah, oh, wow, okay, all right, okay, interesting, all right, I didn't, I didn't ask how many of you waste time playing Farmville on, on Facebook, I just asked who's off Facebook, okay, who has an account, all right, uh, all right, awesome, uh, building update, I don't really have anything on that, we're still waiting to hear from the architect, nursery, we still need some nursery workers um, for the, uh, uh, the service, uh, for, uh, the 11 o'clock service and some for 9.30. So if you haven't had a chance to sign up yet, definitely do that. Um, why didn't I mention first service? Oh, um, uh, Classic Adult Retreat. You can definitely uh, check that out if that's you and see me about that. Tech team, worship team, we got the podcast finally up. Oh, I know, we're going to play volleyball. So today's Sports Sunday. So if you guys, anybody, ladies, to want to play volleyball, all ages, doesn't matter, come on out and we'll play volleyball after the service. Um, and if you want to help, you can see Jane. Uh, Jane. You can see, uh, yeah, that'd be like Jennifer, right? Jane, just Shane and Jennifer, Jane. There you go. You can see Jane after the service, and uh, and uh, they, they'll they'll be one of the ones helping to set up the net. Jane. Okay, that's good. I like that. Okay. All right, good. Um, all right, so I think that's about it. We're going to go ahead and stand and sing and worship Lord Ramir. It's all you. All right. Also, you're all invited to um, a baby shower luncheon for Hanny. Who's about to have a baby any day now? She's <laughs> <Just> right there. <laughs> so please make sure you um, stay and join us. All right. Okay, another question. Who's always logged into Facebook? Never, never logs out of it. <laughs> Some people never log in. Anyway, uh, thank you Pastor for the message and thank you everyone for coming out uh, for coming out and please join us uh, share food with us and fellowship as well. So let's all set up and okay. Sing our last song. Oh thank you Lord for all just done for us.